0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Ask a Death Doula. Remember that November is Family Caregiver Month, and we know that 80 to 90% of a positive end of life depends on two things, knowing how to care for someone at the end of life that you love and planning ahead. And both of those, Doula Givers Institute is offering to you for free. So please make sure to go to doulagivers.com, or you can go to the link in the show notes and download the free downloadable level one family caregiver end of life doula training and you can get the nine choice the good death advanced directive by doula givers do that now and 80 to 90 percent have a better positive end of life with those you love hi everyone and welcome to this episode of ask a death doula my name is suzanne o'brien today we have sylvia cohen and again it's caregiver month and there is nothing that's more important than supporting patients and families with all of the care and education and kindness that they need to have a positive aging and end of life experience. We only have one opportunity to have that go well. And right now there are major, major gaps in our healthcare system. So in order to change that, we've developed so many resources and training. And I have this beautiful woman on here today because she has touched my heart so many times with her passion, with her own personal story, sharing her own personal story with her, both of her parents, how we can have those as teachable moments. What do we need to know and do to not have that be the way that other people experience end of life? So Sylvia, I want to thank you so much for being here on this episode. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So you're joining us. And I have to say that as we were talking about doing this episode, I was focusing on a story that you have shared about your mom. And then, and I also then said to you, is there anything else that you feels important to share in this episode? And you said, yeah, you said, I want to share about my dad's end of life in the hospital. So two very different scenarios and scenes and Mm -hmm they both i'm so sorry and my love goes out to you and your family sounded extremely challenging and traumatic so
1: if i may um which do you want to start with do you want um to- i'll talk to about my dad he passed away about 10 years ago okay in a that. hospital okay. so my father has been on dialysis for quite some time and mm-hmm. um one day he was being picked up by his dialysis, um, this organization, I believe it's called La Vida. Okay. Anyhow, they came to the house to pick him up and my father have, have passed out in front of our house. And then my brother called 911 and also trying to apply CPR. And by the time that they brought him to the emergency room, the lack of oxygen mm-hmm. that going into his system have put him into a coma. Okay. So when my father was hospitalized, they put him in ICU. But because we're Asian and we never really believe in the advanced directive, which is, I find that the most important because mm-hmm. then you know exactly exactly what his wishes are, but because he didn't have one, we're kind of looking at each other. Well, my mother looking for my mom to kind of guide us. Right. What what do you think that we should do? Mm-hmm. My mother at that time was a basket case and she's she says she doesn't know. She she they never talk about it. Um mm-hmm. so it left my older brother to take care of the whole situation. Mm-hmm. And my brother, mind you, he's a physician, he's a doctor. And I came from a family where everybody is in the medical field. I have yeah. a sister, my oldest sister, she is a oncology nurse and a chemotherapy nurse for 35 years. Wow. And then, and then me, and then I have two younger sister. One is a social worker. And then uh-huh. the other sister, she got a double degree in pharmacy and chemistry and she worked for the national cancer research so she's Mm -hmm. a researcher so very highly yes um educated family but when it comes to that death we know nothing we know nothing and my father ended up having a major dispute with Well, my brother have a dispute with my uncle because of religious. My uncle's Catholic. He doesn't really believe in removing him off of life support. So in the meantime, the family's having this massive dispute in the hospital when in turns we are supposed to pay attention to my father. Right. So the family are arriving from everywhere, coming to to visit and hoping that he'll come out of his coma. But after a couple of doctors kind of confirm it, it's pretty much it's time to make that decision to yeah. let him go. And my mom just couldn't really handle it. Mm. So my mother have um, left the hospital. And kind of left it for the five kids to kind of handle it. Mm. So my brother told the doctor that we decided to remove him from life support. But because my uncle is disputing it, they can't. They have to have agreement from everybody. That's what we were told by the hospital. So my brother have to talk to my uncle to convince him that, yes, that's what my father would want. So after four days mm-hmm. of the whole family in the in ICU disputing and arguing and um, they finally agreed that to let my father go. So that was the first hurdle that we have to go through. So then all the family member can really agree with each other on right. the same page. Right. And now... We thought by watching TV, once you take him off of life support and everything is done. Well, I tell you something, it is not done. We, all five kids were in the the ICU room waiting for my father to pass. And 10 years ago, I can still remember now sorry my voice is a little shaky right now just yeah, talking about okay. it that his breathing and he was hemorrhaging from his nose all cavities and it was what a horrific scene for us to witness
0: Gosh.
1: and in the meantime the nurse come in but didn't say anything she find it i looked at her asking her is this normal and she said yeah it it is normal but i think she's very uncomfortable so she left Uh, and just the five of us just waiting for him to pass it took three and a half hours for him to finally stop breathing and pronounce to call the time of death but in the meantime he was hemorrhaging everywhere Yeah. So my sister, she said, "Yeah, I I'm an oncology nurse, but my patient, I don't think she was equipped to to deal with her own father." Yeah. And she was just a mess. She said, "You okay? You're gonna have to help me." She gave me this suction, um, yeah, apparatus thing that you suction on uh, his mucus, but it was the most horrific three and a half hours that we went through in the ICU room. I,
0: okay, let's, let's hold the space here and really just bring a lot of love into this because this is honestly such a, a traumatic story and the shocker here. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of pearls here that we need to talk about. One of the things that's completely shocking too, is that, you were in a hospital in the ICU, you got no guidance, no education, no support of what that would look like. You have a lot of medical professionals in your family that really didn't know this specific area, what this looks like. And I and I want to emphasize that even as an oncology nurse, you might not know what, what it looks like for somebody to be taken off life support and Correct. how the body shuts down from that. And then again, it is your your loved one, your father. So it's a very different level. So I want to start with saying that your father didn't feel any of that. So there's a lot of sounds and there's a lot of things that go on that, that look like somebody could be suffering, they're not. But that doesn't excuse how intense that time period is. But I wish you would have been educated and supported in that. The fact that your nurse was uncomfortable and this is not uncommon is that people don't want to talk about that space so that medical practitioners, which are the ones that are supposed to be educating you, skirt Mm -hmm. it and disappear from the room. And this is leaving wounds and scars on people and families. So I have to say that we have to do a better job of all of this education across the board with supporting our medical teams and, and supporting families. Let's go back to the very beginning of this and talk about that your dad didn't have an advanced directive, that it's not something that's commonly done, You know, like you said, that they don't do that and that your mom didn't know what he would want or not want and that the family had to be around the ICU bed arguing and trying to figure this out. And I will tell you, Sylvia, if it's any, any consolation or comfort that I've worked with so many families and there's only been two that didn't have a plan and agreed unanimously. So you're always gonna have that one family member that has a lot of fear and is just, but that's not the time, it's not around the bed and in ICU to argue and to try and figure this out. It's so important that we ourselves think about what we would want or not want and make sure our loved ones know that it's one of the greatest gifts you can give your loved ones. So again, this conversation and education is so important. So here you are having all that energy in those couple of days deciding okay we've got everyone on board we're going to take the breathing tube out which by the way is so much harder than deciding to put it in I just want everyone to know that and then it's shocking to me even though I, I'm sure it's what common procedure is that people aren't educated in what that's going to look like but you need to know what that's going to look like you're around the bedside and it, it can look really rough so My heart goes out to you and your family and I hope that you have at this point realized and found that that was just the body kind of going through its final steps, but your father was so far removed from feeling any of that um, and he wasn't suffering. So, I mean... Doesn't
1: diminish what you went through at all. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Now I know. Of course. um, It was tough because I think that the hospital need to also be educated because we living in a country that is kind of like it's like a melting pot we have so many different ethnicity and cultures and religions um i don't think the nurse was really equipped to deal with our ethnicity although we live in a very populated Asian community which yeah. I'm very surprised that she's yeah. so uncomfortable and I can feel it because she's not sure what's going on and a different language being spoken so she feel uncomfortable and I can I can see it written all over her face right but I was expecting for her to come in and kind of take over you know, the, the, the suction and kind of show us, but she didn't, she just came in and just look around and just asked to see, we okay. I mean, she asked, but she didn't offer any help, which is, I find that kind of really strange. You come in, you ask, are we doing okay? And then you left.
0: It's, it's very strange. So it is end, very
1: strange. Yeah.
0: So at the end of the day this is what I want to say that we do have this beautiful melting pot of a world, right? And we have different belief systems and it's for us as medical practitioners and those that are in this space to support you in your journey with upholding what what your belief systems are and what's going on here, but at the end of the day there's that practical humanity and human part of end of life that just sharing with you what to expect letting us explore option, telling you about Again, the empowering things in this moment that somebody's intubated, and I'm sure your brother did a beautiful, it sounds like he did a beautiful job at this, is the reality of that your dad is not able to ever get back to the quality of life that he was before. And that's, that's a big indicator. And so uh, I'm very sorry you had that experience at the ICU. I really hope that that is not typical because, but I have a feeling that because we have such a struggling medical system but we need to we need to educate everyone so we need to again educate our just like you said in different cultural beliefs or even if i if i didn't know anything about asian and belief system What would be the thing that I could do? I could say, how can I support you? Can you share with me what your Mm -hmm. belief system is and how is all of your family members doing? And then you would say, my uncle is actually a little different in its causing. And then I can bring in whatever I can bring in from my practical nursing standpoint to support your family in that. Especially, and I just want to highlight this. That when end of life and even home end of life, sometimes there people again. There's those labor breathings and the mouth hanging open, and it doesn't always look so comfortable when they're actively dying. But just sharing with families what you're seeing is a natural part of the end of life process. Your loved one is not suffering. Do not be afraid. This is what we can do to try and reposition. That alone is what's missing in the world, and so there's so much fear and trauma attached to end of life. So. My love to you and your family around this. And I hope that it was 10 years ago, but I know that things like this are branded in our memory banks. And you shared that. And it's something that none of us should have to really ever go through. And it has to change. And it has to change now because every single family is going to go through an end of life with those that they love. And it can go really well when we. Mm -hmm. all get on the same page about how death is not a medical experience, it's human. And here's the things that we can do. And here's the things that it teaches us. So I hope that you and your family are in a better place from that. And I know that I really feel that our personal experiences like this kind of catapult us into our purpose in life and really finding how we can. And we're gonna talk about what you're doing now um, a bit, but I also really wanna credit your dad and some of those life lessons that you really can't get anywhere else for propelling us forward into helping make the world a better place. So that was your dad and that was in the hospital. So a lot of people are under the assumption, they're under the assumption that if somebody's in the hospital, it's gonna go great because the hospital's got it. And that's not always the case. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: In the hospital, um, I'm, I'm on module 11.
0: Mm-hmm. on
1: my course uh-huh. and you talk about spending time with your loved one and not rush it yes. but in the hospital it yeah. was such a rush because yes. they they I think they're like well we need to clean up this room because we have the next patient coming in and I remember you know we went to grab a little something to eat because we haven't eaten since midnight I mean the whole family was pretty much hanging around the hospital so we figured we'll go downstairs to get a little bite at a cafeteria we came back he was gone that is yeah I was just like what did you do to my father we came back and he was gone they took him down to the morgue I I suppose but it was everything was so fast that we didn't have time
0: end of life on all levels has got, we've got to change it. We've got to change it. We've got to slow down. We've got to bring back the awareness that it's a guaranteed sacred part of the life journey. And these are the things that we have that we want to think about. And one of the biggest things is slowing down that space. Even if it's something that's unexpected in the hospital, it's such a very important time period for you and your family. Mm-hmm. Um, So again, my heart goes out to you and your loved ones for that experience. And I thank you for sharing it with all of us, because this is how we can make positive change. Mm
1: -hmm. So that was my father. Now, my mom just passed away this November 20th will be a year, exactly a year. My mother suffered from MDS and my sister, because of everybody's medical experiences and very on top notch. My sister was able to find all the um, clinical trial okay. for my mom to go through, Okay, but her body was failing and nothing works. That's the bottom line. There's no cure for that. So mm-hmm. eventually we decided, actually her, her oncologist, he was excellent. He called for a family Zoom meeting because okay. I live in Texas. They all live in California. So we mm-hmm. had a Zoom meeting, a family meeting, and he just going around asking all the children, what do you think your mom would want? Because your mother didn't have, again, the advanced directive. I know. I want everyone to hear that. Okay, I
0: just want everyone
1: to hear that. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) We thought we learned 10 years ago with my dad, and now comes my mom. As my mom was getting sicker and sicker, I keep asking her, mom, you need to get this done. Yeah. And she said, well, in our culture and our belief, once you put it on paper, it's almost kind of like a curse. That means I'm gonna die soon. I go, mom, that's not true. You need to get this done. But she refused to get it done. So now we're coming to that whole predicament yeah. again, having to yeah. make decision for her. Yeah. So my brother is very close to my mom. Very close. And he said, I don't believe she's ready. Okay. And it's and then my older sister and I and my youngest agree that yes, it's time because her quality of life is diminishing. And taking her to the hospital now, she's needed her transfusion. It's not once every three weeks now it go down to once every few days yeah and getting her out of bed that's a huge thing for her yes yes and I I guess I'm the only one who kind of speak on her behalf I said no you need to stop this it's time this is not what she wanted
0: And I want people to hear what you just said about quality of life, because I want us to know that that's your benchmark, everyone, and it's gonna be unique to each person. But when quality of life is not there for you or someone you love, and I wanna speak as a medical practitioner, okay? As a nurse, we take an oath to do no harm. There is a very fine line at a certain part where we become not helpful But sometimes harmful when people are going through treatments and we're expecting them and dragging them to the hospital, and it's not going to reverse their process and it exhausts them and sometimes it causes them pain. So again, if you can please Think in terms of a benchmark for yourself of quality of life and when you would want to be fully supported with comfort care, with, you know, eating ice cream all day, if that's what you want. It doesn't have to be always attached to a negative thing at all, more so an empowering thing. But you did say quality of life, and I love that, and that your mom had not chosen herself and you could see that she didn't have quality of life. And you said, Exactly,
1: this, this needs to stop. She, she can't really... Um... Yeah. Yeah follow any conversation on top of it my mother have dementia okay she has early stage of dementia so she'll be talking and then she'll looked at me and like who are you again (laughs) so she doesn't remember yeah things that we talk about sometimes she mistaking me for my other sister so it's very confusing for her um and I noticed you know she's complaining about pain and Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where the pain's coming from. Okay. Um, but once we decided to put on hospice, we all agree. And my brother said, he's going to go find a hospice. Okay. And I said, okay. Okay. But we didn't realize the hospice that my brother put her on, allowing her to continue getting transfusion as needed. So, I didn't get that. So I kind of questioned my sister, who's the oncology nurse. I said, well, I thought hospice, Mm -hmm. once you go into hospice, is that you're not going to continue your care. You're just going to let your body go naturally. And eventually you're going to go through that whole, you know, dying process. But she said, well, my brother is not quite ready to say goodbye to my mom. So he wanted to find a hospice that kind of worked with him to allow her to continue her um, transfusion. Well, ended up, she didn't get any transfusion. She was, they couldn't even get her out of bed. Yeah, so I'm sure. He saw that, but we already signed on with the hospice, this particular one. I didn't know that we can change hospice. Mm-hmm. I thought once we sign up with one, we're just going to have to stick with that organization Mm-mm. so we kind of like you know my little voice kind of tell me this this is not the right hospice for her but mm-hmm. because I live out of states my mother lived with my brother mm-hmm. I kind of held back I didn't say anything right. I'm just gonna go along with it yeah. and I rush home I drive home the minute they decided to put her on hospice I went back to California. I was able to spend three weeks with her before she actually passed away. Beautiful. Beautiful. And, um, but because again, she doesn't have advanced directive. Everything is all dependent on my brother. And my brother loves my mom. The emotion was just so he's a mess so he couldn't really make proper decisions even towards the end you know how much morphine to give her and he said you know if you give her the morphine then she's not going to be able she she's going to slip away and i said well yeah that's what dying process is and i think she needed the morphine because she has uti on top of it and she was so uncomfortable she's moving all the time And her legs is always up and we keep putting it down. Oh, Sylvia,
0: Sylvia, let me ask you a couple of questions, if I may. So your mom is now in California on hospice, living in your brother's home, right? Yes. Didn't the hospice team come in and educate all of you on pain management? No. Can you tell me about what your experience was with hospice to your best of your ability? Because they really should be educating your brother and you, and making sure they're assessing your mom for pain. How did that get slipped?
1: So the the nurse came out, I believe, because my um, younger sister, she worked from home. So she is my mom's main caregiver. Mm -hmm. So the nurse spoke to her only because she's the main caregiver. And the rest of us, we don't know what's happening. And I think because she assumed that we are in a medical field, we know what to do. So Mm -hmm. she kind of go over it briefly with my sister. So when the time come and I said to my sister, "Go, she she give you any medication to give it to mom? And she said, yes. And I go, well, why aren't we giving it to her? She doesn't look like she's comfortable. She's moving. She's restless. There got to be something, you know, that they of course, you know, give us to give it to her. So my sister started to give her, I believe it was the Ativan okay, giving her that, and she's still very, you know, it makes her even more anxious,
0: yeah, she's moving
1: a lot, and she just and we I wanted her to put the railing, you know, on the yeah. side up because I was afraid that she might, you know, yeah. because her moving around so much. And my sister says she doesn't like it because she's so used to be able. My sister's bed is right next to my mom's bed. So mm-hmm. my mom was able to see her. And my mom would have this panic look when she didn't see my sister. Yeah. So, um, but anyhow, when when the time comes to give her the uh, liquid morphine, that's mm-hmm. what I figure it out now in class. That's yeah. that's what yes, it is yes, yes,
0: yes, yes, because yes.
1: my sister give it to her on the cheek, on the side yeah. of her cheek. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we increase the dosage because right. we're not sure how much to give her. And she's so terrified of killing her by mistake. And mm-hmm. then you have to write it down how much you've given her. And I yeah. keep asking her, what, what, what is too much And what is the level? I mean, how do we know? We know that 100%
0: end of life is guaranteed, not only for us, but for those we love. We also know that 80 to 90% of a positive end of life can be achieved no matter what the disease process is with these two things, having the basic skills of understanding how to care for someone we love at the end of life, which 98% of the care falls on the family caregiver. And number two, planning ahead, choosing what we would want or not want for end-of-life care. And both of those are available to you right now for free. Go to the show notes right now and you can download the nine choices document and you can have on download the level one training. We want everyone to have the resources to be able to have a positive end of life experience for everyone in this world. Doula Givers Institute will give you everything you need to be able to do that. You can go to doulagivers.com or go to the show notes and download those trainings now. Thanks everyone.
1: How do we know how to adjust to her pain?
0: Well, because, and this is the most, the pain management is the most feared and missed area by family caregivers. So that's something that is the number one thing that should be taught from the hospice nurse is the titration and the dosaging. You start with a little bit, you assess your mom. If your mom still looks like she's in pain, the doctor would allow another little bit. You get it to the point where you find that therapeutic level of that dosaging that your mom looks like she's comfortable, but this takes skill and it takes teaching and it takes a little bit of time and it's not being done. Most families don't know, and they don't want to give it. They don't want to do it wrong. And people end up dying, suffering many times.
1: Correct. Yeah. So that was a bit of a scaring part that we have to deal with. And then Mm -hmm. also, you know, her. Her breathing was, you know, getting increasing. Oh, my mom was on, um, I guess, a breathing tube that they're giving her, and and she's still on the breathing machine oxygen. that they kind of gave her, and um, sometimes she's having a hard time breathing. We just keep adjusting how much oxygen to increase or decrease, and wow. I don't, I, I'm not sure. Is that part of hospice? Yes, it's um, part of hospice. M-
0: oxygen is a medication, so it needs a medical order. So this again needs to be taught and titrated. And again, like families, it's, it's so upsetting to me as the hosp- former hospice nurse, because the education is key and the support is key. And we're asking families to take care of people that are dying, that they love with basically zero education on how to do that. And yet we expect them to be able to do it with me making an hour visit. This has got to change because that in and of itself, the education, the conversation is everything to that positive end of life, not just for your mom, but for all of you as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can have it go really well. And we only have one opportunity. So you're fueling me, even though I don't think I could possibly have any more fuel to work harder than I do for changing end of life. But it's okay, because I do this so much so that people and your story can help others that we don't get in that space. So all of that should have been taught and retaught and titrated from a hospice nurse with your family. But okay, so your mom now, how does
1: that go at the very end for your? Mom? Well, um, we keep towards the end. You know, there was a disconnect between my brother and us girls. My mother had four daughters. My brother's the oldest, so there's this really there's disconnect between him and us. The girls we understand that mom is time, and yeah. we understand that our mom loves us. Mm-hmm. And it's time to let her go. And he's having a hard time letting her go. So I remember we were so tired. My sister, my my youngest and I taking turn um, being awake 24-7. Yeah, Because my other two sisters, you know, she, she has to go to work. So right. we're the one who is pretty much doing all the bedside. Well, especially me, because my younger sister still have to do Zoom call meetings mm-hmm. with her work. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty much the only person left with my mom. I was terrified. Oh. I wasn't sure what to do. Every, you know, my sister have a baby monitor. So yeah. periodically she'll look through the monitor to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, the sponge, you know, with her for her mouth and moisturize her lips and oh. keep doing that. Yeah. And massaging her, just, you know, talking to her beautiful, Sylvia. It's beautiful. And then I I think, you know, the the touching part is it's really, I find that very comforting for her because every time I kind of massage her foot, I notice she kind of calm and go into her little trance. Um, But towards the end, you know, one evening, I remember my mother was so uh, there's nothing. We keep increasing the Ativan, but it's not really doing the work. So I said to my sister, you know, I go, you've been giving her the morphine. And I didn't want to ask you how much you've given her. But I think we need to increase it. Yeah. And she's like, do we need to go and ask a brother? Because he's in the other room. I said, you know, okay, you think because he's the oldest. He's the patriarch. Yes, yes, yes. So we call him. He came over and he said, do you understand if you give it to her another dose? That means she's not going to be able to really hear us. And I said, I don't really care at this time. She's in so much pain. Yes. You need to give it to her.
0: Yes. Give Good it
1: to her. For Good for you, Sylvia. I advocate for her and I fight oh him and I go give it to her. Yeah. So My sister go, he said, okay, do whatever you want. He left. My sister and I gave her the morphine. And that's when it's starting to kind of like we're starting to see other sign. Yeah. Um her eyes starting to get a little very glassy and then there's like a, a, a almost kind of like ammonia kind of smell. I can smell yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. As the
0: body is yes, as the body is shutting down the uh, you know, things are not working and they're not they're not being you know, it's not working like you and I our bodies. So sometimes things can build up and there can be a little bit of an
1: odor at times. It's yeah. It's all natural. Mm-hmm. And then I can see all the like on her skin, on her hands, like almost kind of like spider vein. It's yep. kind of all the vein that you can see it. It's like yep. bluish and yep. she's kind of cold to the touch. That's right. Um and around two, two o'clock, and my sister said, I think it's, we need to crank down her oxygen. Yeah. And everybody look around at each other. Nobody wants to do it because they're thinking if we turn it off, you're the one who killed mom. So yeah, nobody wants not. to do it. And my brother go, well, you're so advocating. So you go turn it off. And I said, okay. I will. I went to the bathroom. I keep cranking it down, cranking it down all the way down. But we have to do it slowly. Yeah. And every 20 minutes, we crank it down another notch until the final one. And that's when I said, I'm going to go and turn it down the last time. Do you guys want to say anything? Mm -hmm. Then say something. So I guess everyone is kind of quiet and ready. And I, when I turn it off. But it's amazing how amazing the human body works. Because she doesn't just stop breathing once I turn it off. No. She, she can go on for another hour and a half. And then finally, mm-hmm. we don't hear any more of her breathing. Mm-hmm. And then my sister, you know, take her pulse zero and then we call it. So now we're panicking. My brother go, I told you to go and get her clothing. Did you not get her clothing? I go, yes, hanging up in her closet. And he go, well, hurry up. We got to hurry up and, and and clean her up and wash her and change her into a new clothes before the, the funeral home come to pick her up. So we were like in a frantic mode trying to clean her. And yeah. bathe her, sponge bath her, and wash her hair Aww. on this bed. And then the five of us was doing all these things to her. And I'm telling you, we were like laughing. You because were her laughing. shoe was you falling
0: off the Mom, that is so beautiful though. And but you were because right, it's almost comical, right? Yeah. Because it's so It's so chaotic and and we start laughing. I feel the love of your family so, so much
1: in this moment. So, you know, and then we trying to put her socks, her best clothes on and, and then the shoe didn't fit. And I said to my sister, (laughs) her shoe didn't fit. (laughs) And I, and I said, you know, why don't we just take the socks off? Maybe it'll be better. And then we put the shoes on. And it's funny because we pick a, a, an outfit for her to wear. Yeah. Well, there's two outfits that we pick for her to wear. And I'm telling you, her spirit is talking to us. Because the first outfit that we pick for her, as we were dressing her, we realized, and I think my mom's playing a joke on us. Yes. I checked the day before that yeah. it was, it was good. So <laughs> when we put it on her. The button is missing. And my my brother was well, yelling it. at me. He's like, well, I told you to check the day before. Didn't you check? And I go, I did. <laughs> I did. And the button was missing. My brother I go, we love can't. this story. put her in the clothing where there's no button. Right. So we put her in the second outfit and that was the one that she always wear to wedding. To oh, every wedding so, she yeah. attended. This is so good. This is beautiful. So she wore the second outfit, not the does. first one that we chose for her. She oh, wore the, one the that second she one. She
0: chose that she used to wear to weddings that she loved. Oh my gosh! That's that right. So beautiful. I love so, that so very much.
1: So now so, we call the hospice. Nobody answer. It was three twenty in the morning. My brother call. We call. We call. It went straight to a voicemail. No answering service. No, nothing. no, no. Nope. Okay. And we leave so many messages because we're not sure what to do now. Oh my goodness. So we're, we're, we're sitting there and we're like, we can't call nine one one because nope. it didn't fit.
0: Yeah.
1: What are you going to say? Right. Right. So my brother have to go through his Rolodex and find a friend of his who is a physician and she's a hospice physician. So she, came out around seven in the morning from Los Angeles. We live in Orange County. She came from Los Angeles to come to call the time of death because the hospice didn't call us. We waited until... Horrifying. The funeral home came to pick up her body. And then they call us. It was around okay. 1130 in the morning, hospice finally called and asked, what can she, what can she do?
0: So I my need- sister
1: yeah. we was need- furious at this point.
0: Oh, I'm furious at them. So here's the thing. I want everyone to hear this. Sylvia's is talking about her mother being at home on hospice. This was in the state of California, dying at 320 at about 320. They called hospice at 320 and left messages. No one's answering. No one's answering. They don't know what to do. If you call 911, you never want to do that when there is an expected end of life, because now it's an investigation. Now it goes into a whole ring ring. The police come out, everyone's a suspect, all of this craziness. A doctor has got, or a nurse or a hospice nurse has to pronounce that time of death. And your brother, who's a doctor, has a Rolodex and is able to contact a hospice colleague that comes out from Los Angeles to Orange County to do the pronouncement of death seven o'clock in the morning. I mean, you're lucky you have that. The hospice then that your mom is on calls at about 1130 a.m. the next day. So from 330, the call and says, how can we help you or what can we do? Right. Right are you kidding me? Like it's, I've never heard of that bad. I mean, that is terrible. How many people don't have hospice in the Rolodex friends and family that can do this? So I don't blame your sister for being really upset. I'm really upset. I know that you were really upset and being upset is not going to solve the issue, but we've got to talk about the hospice gaps, the gaps that are out there that are making end of life go a thousand times harder for patients and families it has got to stop it has got to stop so okay
1: so they call and they say what can we do and my sister go what can you do we've been trying to get a hold of you we've been trying when we were upping my mom's medication the morphine medication we we trying to ask you how much can we increase what is the protocol no one call us back we just kind of wing it and now you calling us what did they say did they have anything to say at that well she said well you know due to COVID, um the uh staffing here is very tight and we're not allowed to come out they can call to you to the house.
0: They can call shame on you and they can call you back and they can do many, many things. I'm not buying that. The staffing is an issue across the board. So I just want everyone to know that our medical practitioners, you all know this hospice. We all know that on, on a fragmented usually schedule. But here's the great news is that this is a human skill that used to be handed down generationally a hundred years ago, that we know how to have end of life. We really do. We've been dying for thousands of years. We've medicalized it and we've removed all of the teachings of it. It's time to bring that back and to share that with families so that they have these skills before we ever need it. Then you get a medical to compliment, to make sure that they're teaching the medications, right? But you also want to you want to interview, like you said before, that you can take, you can choose your hospice, and if you're not happy with the hospice service that you have, you can change that service. You are the consumer. This is about you. So, lots of education needs to be here. Um I can't even wrap my head around that
1: story. I really, it it it, it was like a circus. Yeah. Um, we don't know which end is up, and we thought, oh, when we're in your hand and you're going to guide us. And when we call and they said, Oh, don't worry. Um, Oh, by the way, she only comes out once or twice on the three weeks period. And the rest is like phone call. And also, you know, she said, well, um, if anything happened, she was saying your mom is closed now, anything happened, I'm on call. I'm the on-call nurse 24 seven. And I said, yes that's why we call you but you didn't return our call yeah she called and- i was i was with another patient and i know you with another patient surely you can find someone to just give us a call back
0: yeah. my sister
1: uh- even texted her said urgent 911 yeah <laughs> Keep texting
0: her and, and from a phone call at 3.20 in the morning to 11.30 in the morning, um, we have got to change. So let's talk about, Sylvia, thank you so much for sharing your personal story with both of your parents so that it can be a real teaching moment and a cautionary tale for all of us. Now, again, the good news about propelling us forward into making positive change for everyone in this world, right? Because isn't this what connects us all is this thing called humanity and this thing called end of life and this thing called life and where in this part of the journey of your personal journey did you start getting the calling that you really wanted to learn more and that you wanted to be a difference a change maker in this space
1: i was driving home after my mother's funeral and we were not i my husband and i stopped by sedona love to spend some time in sedona it's mm. very spiritual mm. and on the way home after i left sedona i i feel that i need to somehow find a ways to help other people so they don't have to go through the same thing i'm going through yes and but i'm not sure where or how yeah. and i was on youtube looking at something something totally different and then I saw someone who was interviewing a doula mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure what is a death doula. I never heard of it. I know there's, you know, a baby doula for birthing. I never heard of a dead one. So I watched the video and I find it so fascinating, is exactly what I'm looking for. Yes. So I started Googling different organization that teaches. Wow. Yeah. And then I stumble onto your website. Mm-hmm. I believe I, I was on Barbara Carnes and she mentioned yep. you and I looked it up and I start looking at different organization that I wanted to study with, mm-hmm. but I find yours the best match for me because number one, you're a hospice nurse, you're an oncology nurse, and you have all that expertise and mm-hmm. all the clinical and yeah. that's what I want. Yeah. Although we don't do anything medically, but nope. I believe as part of my learning, I should know, even though I don't use the, you know, the, the, I don't medicate or do anything, a medication, but I should know. Of course. All that detail, what's in, what's intel in the yes. whole dying process. Yes. So that's how you win number one, going to yes. see your client. So your client kind of have more trust in you that you know what you're doing. And you know,
0: they have the things in the home that they need. And you know, when they need to call that hospice team and say, there's a change. We need things. It's different. If you don't know symptom management, if you don't know physiology, if you don't know disease processes, which most families don't, how do they know when their loved one is suffering or when they need something or when to call? And that's what. That's what you learn. and that makes all the difference in the world. It's so great that you're but doing. yeah
1: I, I I have checked out other program and I decided and I have an appointment with, you know, your webinar on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to another, you know, Doula Doula um Institute. Mm-hmm. and I told her I cannot make my final decision until I go to my webinar on Thursday with doula Institute. And she said, yes, go ahead. You should do your you know, homework and to see which program fits you. Yeah. And I told her once I attended your class, then I can make that decision. So sure. after I attended your webinar, I signed up and I call her up the next day and said, you know, thank you so much. And she said, well, you know, they'll be here. I think their one is called doula LA. Oh, in okay. Los Angeles. okay. Okay. Um, and she go. She asked me why is why I didn't pick them, and mm-hmm. I said, "It's just you know your program has more clinical background that I'm looking for. Yeah, I come from a heavily medical, yeah. family, and and I myself do case management. I think is really critical to know all that clinical background, it and that's the, the reason why and their one is also fantastic. Yeah. I think all the classes from all these different organization that teaches doula they are wonderful, but you just need to find one that works for you.
0: Yeah, and I think that I think that again you said it beautifully. My background is a hospice nurse and an oncology nurse. I'm going to bring that all to this training. Why? Because this is, in my opinion, critically important for the highest quality of every single day for that patient and thus that family. And that's really kind of why doula giver specialist, the practitioner is with a death doula within it, but it's a much broader, it's a full spectrum, non-medical holistic practitioner because of all the medical. And it's wonderful because if that's what resonates with somebody, then there's that availability. So I love that Sylvia. I want to ask you this. You've been so gracious with what you've shared today. What would you advise somebody um, that is is going to be responsible for caring with their parents? What would you say to them that they should probably be doing now or what's available to them, that it's not just mainstream medical that they need to be dependent on or just hospice? What would you share with them about how they could Um, take a step or two to make sure that they have everything they need, because we have that only that one chance to have that end of life go well.
1: So I, I just recently um, got my advanced directive done. And then I also got the five wishes, which is very detailed. And that's what I would advise, sit your parent down, explain to them, this is, Like, it's not a finality. You can always change it. Yes. But it's good to have something on paper. So then people know your loved one around you know exactly what you want and how you want it. Because now I think my mom, if we take the time to actually sit down and talk to her about it, Mm -hmm. I might be able to change her mind. But because of her illness, going to hospital all the time. She's not available to even talk about that. I think we left it a little too late. So I would advise people that would be the greatest gift that you can give yourself a peace of mind and also your, your parents. So they know exactly what they want and you know what they want. So you don't feel guilty afterward. Now we have to second guessing ourselves. Is this what she won? I'm not sure. I, I hope I'm doing it right
0: Yes. So that is exactly correct. To it's the greatest gift doing your advanced directive and letting your loved ones know what you would want or not want in that end of life space is the greatest gift you can give yourself for peace of mind because you'll get what you want. You're asking, right? I want to be at home. I would like my dog there. I want to be kept, you know, with pain at a minimal And it's the greatest gift you can give your loved ones because they don't know if they're trying to guess. And most families will never unanimously agree on care because there's too much emotion here. So do your advanced directive and choose and choose now. Have that conversation. And thank you. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you share and for your family story because I think that those are the things that we can all relate to. And the fact that you had both of your parents in different settings have challenges in this end of life, and that's putting it mildly. um, What we can learn from what you just shared is absolutely priceless. So I want to, I want to thank you so much for being here.
1: And one thing I like to add when I, um, I have two sons, 27 and 28. So when I was looking for the medical proxy, Mm-hmm. My husband would be the first one, and the second one. You have to kind of know your children. Yeah, you do. You know who can make certain decisions. Yes. So I chose my older son because he's a he's a nurse. Okay. He's a trauma nurse, so he knows. And I ask him, and I also talk to my younger son, so then he understands. There's no feelings hurt. It's not that I don't trust you that exactly. you can make that decision for me, but. Yeah. There are certain things with your different personality would fit you more, and they love it. They're like, "Thank you so much, mom, for doing that." So now we don't have to worry about you know when your time comes, what do we do? And I told them, you know, that's the best gift I can give them. Absolutely. So I'm planning and putting everything together in a binder.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, my advance directive, the five wishes, and my will. And, you know, um, everything Ah. else in this binder. I love it. I love um, it. And yeah, so now my next step is to work on my um, legacy box. (laughs) Putting things together. So beautiful. So I figure since I'm studying and preaching people, I might as well... Do it for myself.
0: Of course, you got. We got to do it ourselves, right? We got to get to it. Do a legacy box. I have something called love letters that I write and I put in that in that beautiful box that's going to be opened at some point. It's just it's just an abundance of love and education is the key to everything. And I I will honestly say that end of life can be one of the most beautiful sacred experiences when you have the right education and support and kindness. And Sylvia, you have just given us so much that we can use in order to go. So I wanna thank you so much for being in this world and also being a doula giver and sharing your story because I know that all of us benefit from that. So thank you, my dear. Thank you very much for having welcome and don't forget everyone you can get free family caregiver training to learn how to care for your loved one for free at doula givers that webinar is on demand now and there's also the nine choices document that we have for advanced care planning both of those are free both of those are free so access them do it today and if you have any questions let us know and thank you is that in our course Yes, yeah, So this is something new that we just rolled out. You will be getting it as well. The nine choices document, and it is wonderful. So stay tuned. Yes. I'll, you'll, you'll have that very soon. And um, again, you can access that for free at doulagivers.com. And I want to thank everyone for being on this podcast today and we'll see you in the next one. Thanks. Thank everybody. you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for being part of, again, Ask a Death Doula podcast. Remember, that 80 to 90% of a positive end of life depends on two things, planning ahead and having the basic skills on how to care for someone you love at the end of life. And both of those are available for free with Doula Givers Institute. You can go to the show notes right now and click the link to download either the training or the nine choices document, or go to doulagivers.com. Thank you so much, everyone. And we'll see you in the next episode.